Hello, and welcome to the Peace Alliance Hope Story Circle, and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance, and I'm joined to facilitate today by Liz Graydon, who is our board chair, and Yelena Popovich, who is our teaching peace in schools lead. And our special guest today is a friend of mine I'm very excited to have join us today. His name is Brian Stallings. Brian, would you like to say hello? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, anyone who's joining. <laughs> it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Liz, would you like to share about the community agreements or would you like me to do that? No, I can do that. Okay. The Peace Alliance holds the intention in our gatherings to create a space that is welcome to all for listening, learning, open conversation, and engagement. To that end, we ask that everyone be real, engaged, and curious, be fully present to listen, create space for learning, honor all points of view, acknowledge discomfort, and allow room for healing. We will do our best to address marginalizing language and microaggressions. And so to that end, we ask that everyone present act with empathy, compassion, and a desire for connection. We thank you for being here with us and participating for us in this way. And we welcome Yelena to offer our gathering meditation. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and to all of you that are listening on the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Hope you find this moment nourishing. I just want to invite us into a moment of, moment of noticing and pausing. Whatever that, whatever you need to do in this moment to kind of pause and notice, perhaps, you know, that's noticing just how your body is in this moment. Is there any, any way you can just invite 10% more ease? If you can dial that dial to 10% degrees, what would that mean? Maybe that is feeling your feet grounded to the earth. Fighting gravity. Maybe noticing that you can lower your shoulders, unhinge your jaw, allow space between the eyes to Just allowing the moment 
for space. For pause, space for intention is welcome. And what would it be to create space in our world for pausing, for understanding, for empathy, for And with a breath. And perhaps the movement. I invite you to welcome Brian, his story today. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for being here. Brian, you may begin. Well, it's great to have this opportunity to to join the circle and grateful to Terry um longtime friend and co-worker in the past to have invited me and um my story starts in two different places I think one is I'm going to talk a little bit about how my story begins at work in my profession and a little bit about how my story originates at home. So um, to start off with at work, I've spent about, well, more than 20 years working in technology organizations. And that means I work with technical leaders. Um, it could be IT professionals, could be software programmers, project managers, executives over these functions. And a lot of my work has been to create opportunities for teams to step forward and become higher performing. And so those technical teams tend to be made up of individuals who love technology. They love to have their hands in the, the messy bits of organizations, their software, their systems. And um, oftentimes I find that they are individuals who love that work that's sometimes sol solitary and know a little bit less about how to be effective with others. Um, they love to be kind of in a private, quiet place with their computer, and then organizations need them to come together and get work done. But they may struggle with some of those social interactions or how to make decisions together or how to share different perspectives and come to agreement. And so a lot of my work has been to help them have means to be able to do that and to achieve not just as individuals, but as groups. And, and so that's where my story starts at work. I've been doing that for a long time. So I've um, you know developed myself as a facilitator of those types of teams, as a teacher to those individuals, as we talk about new approaches, as a mentor in many cases for those individuals, and finally as a professional coach to have opportunities to discuss with those individuals or as a group um, how they might seek ways to improve themselves. So I love that work. And I found that a lot of my 
Um, passion comes from making that world more effective. And if you can make somebody's work better, because we spend so much time there, you make their whole life better. Um, they, go, they go home and they're less stressed, less anxious, they have a better weekend, they have a better evening, and their connections with others are more fulfilled, more successful. Well, the part of my story that starts at home is in my efforts to be that same kind of person when I go home. And um, so in my home situation, I'm with my partner, Jennifer. We've been, it's been 30 years now. We're parents to four children. And, um, you know, Jennifer, she's a social worker and she's a, a family therapist. Um, so she teaches me a lot. And I think that's a really important aspect of my life because as our kids got older, we we learned that they had some circumstances in their life that today we know and we call um, neurodiversity. So we have four kids. Each of them have been diagnosed as um, with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, two of them have... Um, have been diagnosed with dyslexia. So they struggle when it comes to making meaning from what we see on a written page. Um, and, and then two of them have been diagnosed autistic. So I have four kids. That means some of them have comorbid circumstances, right? So a lot to deal with it. As a parent, um, I've learned a, a lot about where they struggle and I've um, been trying to educate myself. Um, for example, sometimes you learn that as a parent, you're trying to apply something as you work with your kids that you think is um, going to help make things better for them. But then as you learn about how they're different than you are, you find that that thing you were trying to do is actually making things worse. So one example would be uh, I tried to help my son who he won't look at people when he's introduced to them. Um, tried to teach him that it's important to establish eye contact. My dad taught me the same thing. And, and um, we see that that's a key factor in building relationships of trust, right? So I would work with him and work with him. And, um, he would get a little bit better. But then I read an article that said, maybe what's going on for him is that he's so overwhelmed with information when he looks at somebody's face that he doesn't understand that because he doesn't, he doesn't really recognize like emotion in other people very well. So that can be very difficult for him to take in while he's also trying to listen to the person. So he tends to look away. So I've learned that I wasn't helping and I need to drop that request. Hey, Nathan, look them in the eye, right? So that's an example of me learning at home, you know, what I needed to do to change. So I think we're in this learning together, my wife, myself, um, our children. And one of the things that brings these two parts of my story together, the professional side and the, and the home life, is that um, the things that I was uh, trying to apply at, at work, I, I tried to bring some of them home. Uh, for example, <clears throat> one of the things we do with teams is to make their work visible, to um, organize the work in a way that they can see it right in front of them, see and understand what, what they as a team have agreed to do, who's doing what, what the current state of everything is. We use these things called visual work management boards that make everything visible. So you can really get what's going on and have transparency around the work of the group. 
So there were many mornings on Saturdays when we would sit in front of the patio screen door with all that beautiful glass and put sticky notes up there about what the work was for the family on Saturday. And it was going to consist of all of these different things we needed to get done and who was going to get them done. And, and so we each had a swim lane and then we had columns like, is this work to do or is this being done right now or is it finished? And has mom checked it off? Right. And so suddenly I found we were using tools at home that we had used at work. And I found that my children really benefited from that. It reduced the conflict we felt at home around, do I have to do these things? It created some novelty and energy around the work as a family. And, and um, so I felt delighted by that. Um, and some of the resources we'll share with you afterward, you can read about some of these practices. The, the one that I remember doing first when I was little was, we called it uh, bedtime scrum. If you've ever uh, you've ever learned about hockey or you've heard about rugby, where there's a scrum in front of the goal with all these people milling around crazily trying to make order to you know how to get the how to get the ball in the net, for example, or the puck in the net. That's what my house was like at bedtime, like this little toddlers running around, and so we were trying to create practices where we could bring order to to the work that they were doing. So um, I think the story continues that I found opportunities to bring and cross over some of those challenging, um, well, those tools that help reduce challenge and bring them home. And as I tried them at home, I found ways to improve them and bring them back to the office. And so um, that's really where we wanna, I wanna continue this story is about some of those techniques that can be really useful. What I found was that the environment that I had at home with lots of different individuals uh, with different ways of thinking and recognizing the world was similar to what I had at work. Um, data tells us that in STEM fields, there's a lot of individuals with neurodivergent circumstances. And maybe, maybe I should talk about that a little bit. Um, if you're not familiar with the word neurodivergent, let me start with the, the word neurodiversity. It's a word that means that um, in today's world, there's individuals who have lots of different ways of processing information and making sense of the world because our brains are not some sort of normal thing that everybody is identical to. Each brain is unique and the way we perceive the world and process information is different. We are neurodiverse as a group. Um, and to me, it makes me think about the word biodiversity, like the rich breadth of life that exists in the world. Um, there's the same neurodiversity that exists in the world. So who is to say what's normal? Um, but the terms, one that was created to help bring an understanding to that diversity. And so oftentimes we hear words like neurodivergent, which means maybe there's some divergence from what the mainstream uh, might consider to be um, more common, right? So my son and daughter that are autistic, for example, um, are neurodivergent. And, and then others that may not be quite like that would be termed um, neurotypical. And I'm not saying we love all these terms. We're still in the world trying to make sense of, of how to describe these things appropriately. And we're finding that we are marginalizing individuals who are neurodivergent because we 
we um, have a lot of work to do in the workplace or even in our homes. So um, I found that a lot of the individuals I worked with were also neurodivergent. They struggled with things like social relationships, um, being heard, feeling the confidence to speak. And as a, as a facilitator and coach for those teams, I took some of the learning that I was applying with my kids and started to work with those individuals in the office to create a better and safer and more um, effective place for everybody to participate. And I find that organizations are starting to pay attention to this now more and more as our attention on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging has increased in our organizations. We're starting to realize that there's a group of individuals that we haven't really included, which is those neurodivergent individuals. And my passion has been um, to, to say something about that as a parent in this case, because I'm trying to create a world where my children have a place to participate. They're so capable that um, if we could just make some accommodation for what makes them more successful within those teams, we'd find uh, what the data tells us, which is that individuals with neurodivergent circumstances may be even more productive. Some people say the research indicates that 140% more productive than individuals um, neurotypical like myself. And I, I've seen that to be true, the amount of intense focus that an individual like my daughter can bring to her work or her ability to recognize patterns far beyond what I can see um, really would bring a lot of capability into a team. Not just that, but their unique ways of understanding and looking at the world and with my son, for example, solving problems in ways others would have never conceived of. Um, that's all a potential that they can contribute in the world and really be um, powerful contributors if we could just make a place where they could be successful. Make it so that, for example, my son can participate and, um, and yet have a place where he's able to have quiet when he's maybe agitated and then come back to the team. Or maybe it's okay for him to put on some sound blocking headphones like he needs to in high school at times so that he can have the right level of focus. How do we create accommodations for the circumstances and understand that it's not a wrong behavior, it's just a different way of thinking and seeing the world. So one thing I wanted to share with you today is the work that I've done around conflict and, and uh, hopefully it will be useful for you. My son, Nathan and I found ourselves in conflict a lot. And that's because I think um, as a 13, 14, 15, now 16 year old, um, that's part of the time of his life where he was growing and spreading his will and his wishes and a little bit of his defiance um, and maybe picking on his sister or being rude to his mother, the kind of things that a dad tries to help a son um, with. And in Nathan's case, he's really uh, curious about technology and he tends to bother other people's technology and get himself in trouble. And that was really the, the story that I'm going to describe right now happened when I found him messing around with my iPad. Uh, he'd had permission to use it, but he hadn't had permission to go in and alter all the settings and make changes, which is what he had done. And so I had caught his attention and taken the iPad away, which is the last thing that 
somebody like Nathan wants to have happen. He wants to be able to use it all day long if he could, right? So he was angry. He stormed out of the house and went to the garage, which is where he goes to be with our golden retriever and calm down. So when he came back, I had printed out a copy of a tool that I use at work, which we call the conflict, um, conflict canvas. And um, I'll show you an example of what it looks like, but um, Nathan filled it out and um, I filled it out. And then we went back to have a conversation about, um, can you guys see, I think that's, you see it here. So he filled it out and it asked him to think about what had he heard, what had he observed, what had he said, and then how did he say it, how had he felt, and coming back up to the head, what were his motivations and fears in that moment. And um, this is what it looked like, the one that he created in that moment. He was upset that the topic was touching and updating dad's technology without asking. And he felt that he had done all of the checks to make sure that the things he was changing was okay. Um, he heard me say, you should be asking before you update my technology. Dad was annoyed and mad. He felt he'd been truthful. He felt resentful. And... He said, um, you know, I was worried that dad would take it away. And so I had filled mine out and this led us to have a conversation where I understood better his perspective and he understood it as well because he'd slowed down in order to describe it. And I, he understood my perspective. The second tool I introduced to him, we called the conflict protocol. And so we went in and filled this out together and I'll show you the example of which we created. And so we wrote our names in here, came up with a name for our team. Of course, this is often used at work, so we made it fit. And we defined our purpose. What, what's our purpose in having a conflict protocol? And we then defined, there's four Ps here. Then we defined our perspectives. What is our perspectives about conflict and what we want to do about it? And then we took the third P, which is principles. What are the principles that we find we value? What can guide us and inform our actions? And so we agreed on these together. And then finally, we created a set of practices. When we're approaching conflict, how do we want to be together based on our purpose and our perspectives and the principles that we hold? How will we be? And, and so these are some of the agreements that are really important. Um, I wasn't good when I was in conflict with Nathan. I would pursue the conversation until I got the outcomes that I wanted. But Nathan needed time to step away and think. In fact, the success we have with resolving conflict goes way up when Nathan approaches it for the second time, like after five minutes with the golden retriever, for example. So that's one of his coping strategies that we use. And what we found was this really helped us to um, improve the way that we work together at home. And then I introduced this at the office and I've even made these templates available inside of the application that we use so that people can drag one out and create a conflict protocol with their teams. 
And I, I thought these stories would be important to share because whether you're working with individuals that are just like yourself or individuals who are unique and different and may think about things in a different way, just addressing how we might want to be when we're in conflict, as well as slowing down to think about maybe the conflict that we're approaching and how we want to resolve it can really make remind us how resourceful we can be, take us away from the heat of the moment and reach for ways to come together and establish peace once again. And, um, and so um, whether you work in technology or not, whether you have neurodivergent children at home or not, I recommend these types of approaches to you and we'll share them with you so that you can link to them yourself, print them out, use them. And we'll share also some articles where I've described their use. Um, and so I think that's where the story comes together and we can have a conversation about what to do, what to do next and how we might approach this in our inquiry. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brian. Liz, would you like to move us into the breakout rooms? I would. Uh, Brian, I really am so thankful for your story. And as we were going over the story last night and thinking about the inquiry, what came up for us, I think, was how can we create, you describe it so beautifully, how can we create spaces uh, and systems in which diversity of thought is celebrated and valued. And I think you really set it up beautifully with your story. So as we go into the inquiry, I'd love for us to just dig into Brian's story, the offerings that he shared, and how we can think about using that in the spaces and places that uh, that we enter and may have some kind of influence over. Wonderful. We're going to go into breakout rooms for about 15 minutes and then we'll come back and see what bubbles up for people. Our agreements in the rooms are to speak from your heart, to listen with your heart, to say just enough so that others have an opportunity to share and to keep confidentiality when we come back to the room. You can share your own story, but um, don't share someone else's. The theme is fine, but don't share the details of the personal story. So we're gonna pause the recording and we'll see see each other back in just a bit. Hello and welcome back. Does anyone like to share anything that came up in the breakout room? What's bubbling up for you right now? I can go first. We, we talked a bit about, well, some individuals had a couple questions about the different tools. And so we talked a bit about uh, the conflict canvas, which is the one with the silhouette of a person's head that walks you through reflecting on a conflict that's occurred or a conversation you're about to have where you're trying to avoid um, that. And so we talked about its usefulness in, in uh, and I'll let others chime in, in different environments. Uh, we talked about children, which is where I described it. But then I shared a story about how my wife and I felt that we're also oftentimes the ones with conflict and we get entrenched far more than children do. And so one way we use this canvas is if we have had a conflict and stepped away from it to, to cool down and think, the, the canvas is a place where we can journal a bit. And then we exchange those pages, me and her. So I can see a little bit about her perspectives before we meet. 
and then we meet and talk and I can be really curious about what she's written and we are so much more resourceful and resolve our conflict without the heat that a couple might oftentimes find themselves in. And so I recommend that it's useful for adults. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Would anybody else like to share? I'll share. Um, I'm Wanda. Again. Uh, I really had a great takeaway from uh, a better understanding, a clearer understanding of what neurodivergent meant. Um, also, the conflict canvas will definitely help in um, when I get ready to participate or go to the uh, Florida Restorative Justice Association's conference um, in October. Uh, I know that there will be, like I said, there will be humans there who uh, will use this term. And so now I will know uh, what they mean by that and be able to also um, participate in a conversation regarding what neurodivergent means. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll have, like I said, we'll have circles, an opportunity to participate in circles. And I feel that the conflict canvas uh, process and protocol will definitely help uh, a lot of individuals uh, feel a little bit more comfortable if I'm able to use that process. That's wonderful. Wonderful. That's wonderful, Wanda. So glad to hear that. That's such great work that you're doing and with the Restorative Justice Association in Florida. So needed across the country. I know Florida has a very strong presence in restorative justice. So that's yes. exciting. Anyone else? Yelena, Liz, anything? Yeah, Brian, when you were just talking right now, the first thing I thought is when I get off, I'm going to print out a bunch of copies of that head and really just keep them in a space in the home. Like, I, I think it's just so useful, as you said, to give people time and um, and to think about all the relationships we're in and just even just have that kind of protocol to go, oh, if there's a conflict what we can do is stop it right away, right? If we know there's a pile of those papers and we can go away before we go any further, why don't we take a little time? Why don't we step away? And I love that you brought that personal dimension to it. Uh, I'm just so grateful for you and this really beautiful tool and, and your ideas and stories about how to apply it. It's really powerful. Thank you, Liz. I think... Our brain works at two different speeds, right? And so when we're in conflict, it's the part of our brain that's fight or flight, fighting for you know, our perspective and defending our points of view. And it's a different part of our brain when we step away to look at the canvas. You know, our front prefrontal cortex can get engaged and our limbic system can relax. And then we can return to the conversation fully resourceful. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to try it. You have to let me know. I, I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Thank you, Brian. I think yeah. we're going to... I, I just want to chime in. Um, that Thank you, Brian, for mentioning this, um, this last part around, you know, brain anatomy and how brain anatomy actually plays a role in 
you know, in our way of um, really working through conflict. Um, one, um, one very powerful tool I have found working with kids is actually teaching them about um, different parts of the brain and different parts of the brain involving in our emotional regulation. So connecting the tools and practices to that, I think it, it can really provide clarity around, you know, oh, oh, and I have heard this, I have heard kids say this, oh, oh, that, that means I'm not a bad kid. That uh-huh. means I can actually have ability and, and choice in how if I create space and if I'm given a right tools, I have a choice. How do I respond to any situation? And that is very empowering, mm. very empowering for for students, but also like super, um, super empowering for for any human uh, and for teachers to to know that their tools are there like this. So thank you so much for all the work. And um, and again, these are practices. And if we can practice at home, we can practice at the workplace and school. You know, it, it, it becomes a, something that we can really apply into our lives. So thank you so much for the work. Thank you, Elena. You kind of described my hope um, in this hope circle that we can all get better at conflict and find a place for um, stronger relationships and more peace in our lives. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. So I think we're going to bring the call to a close. I put some links in the chat. Um, the Hope Story Circle and Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance. Our mission is to educate, advocate, and mobilize people into action to transform systems and public policy toward a culture of peace. Our vision is we cultivate peace building to create a world where everyone and everything thrives. Our website is peacealliance.org and the podcasts are there. And also there's a link about the Hope Story Circles. Um, It's also a link to the Blueprint for Peace. This is an ongoing initiative we've had going for a little while now. And if you click on that link, you'll be taken to a, a page where you can notify all of your elected officials, locally, statewide, and federal, that you support policy related to the to nonviolence and violence reduction and peace building. Um, there's also a link about our Department of Peacebuilding legislation, HR 1111, to create a cabinet-level Department of Peacebuilding. We are a small nonprofit, appreciate donations of any size, especially our monthly donors that provide a sustainable income and our calendar of events, peacealliance.org slash calendar, where you can find out about the other things we're doing and our hope story circles and everything else. So Liz, do you want to wrap it up for us? Yeah, I, I am really taken by what Yelena just had to say. Mm. And um And I think that uh, it has been my experience as well in dealing with especially very young children, the idea that um, if you give them just a little bit of information, sometimes it can transform something. And I'm going to share a story that, uh, you know, you shared a personal story, uh, Brian, I am going to. When my kids were little, um, my husband had come from a background in a home where there was violence in the home. And he had made sure that was never going to enter our home. But he did have some kind of anger. And every now and then he would he would yell. He would yell at the kids. 
And, um, and I told, you know, I just had said to him, you need to stop yelling because the kids aren't comparing it to what you knew, right? They're saying, why is, why is this happening? Why is that angry? And so at one point, um, my husband had, had yelled at our son and, and he left the room and I just took, and my little Jake was maybe five and he was so tiny and he, he would just come up to here on rough. And I said to him, you just need to understand that when daddy was little, his parents didn't always have the ability to put love into him the way we try to put love into you. And so sometimes they put their anger in him. So every now and then the anger comes out because it was put in him. And when Rob came back in the room, Jake went up and hugged him and he said, okay, daddy, you get all that angry out because then it won't be in there anymore. And he just knew that he didn't need to hold it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it, that created this beautiful process of our family of knowing, and, and we did create processes and we did circle work and we found all these beautiful tools. And I would love for your tool to become such a valuable tool in family conflict. Uh, because when Yelena talked about the fact, if you even just tell the children that your brain works differently at different points, so then they don't have to own, oh, then what I didn't do is bad. It's just, I can choose. And so I'm so grateful. And Wanda, I'm grateful for you, what you're doing at the Florida Store of Justice. I'm so grateful for all of these stories, all of these tools. And I guess what I would, the, the send away for the week would be if we can just kind of take a look at the the or listen to the tools Brian gave and just try to apply even that visual thing in one situation in the next two weeks before we have the new story circle and maybe uh, send some feedback. Wonderful. Well, Brian, thank you again for joining us. And if everyone wants to come off mute and say goodbye, we'll close the call. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.